0: Welcome back beloved today we are gonna be answering this question are there few people who are saved truly saved and Jesus Christ himself was actually asked this question and we'll get to that uh, a little bit later um, so obviously this is a heavy video it's not a video that I typically make but I think it's an incredibly uh, important video Um, especially for the American church, Um, the unequivocal answer of the Bible is yes, there are few people who are saved, right? And so I'll kind of give it away up front, I don't think this video is gonna turn any heads. You're not gonna see any fancy news articles or anything like that. Um, So I wanna explain why I'm making this video. I have uh, eight reasons I think are super, super important. Um, One is exposing the true state of mankind, that that it's fallen. Two is to prove through scripture the doctrine of the remnant. I know doctrine's kind of a bad word now. This is not a doctrine of man. The doctrine of the remnant is a teaching from from God. Uh, And the doctrine of the remnant is very simple, that there's a remnant of people that are saved by grace, by God's graciousness. Um, But that's always been the minority. Um, Three, explain how we can know if we are saved or not. If you're truly saved, how can you know it? And, And if you're really saved, you want to make sure, right? Paul said, confirm your election, make sure you're truly saved. Um, Number four is to combat antinomianism. I know that's a big word. I just learned what it meant recently. It's the casting off of the law, right? Legalism is like Jesus died for me. And also I have to do X, Y, and Z to make sure I'm saved. Antinomianism is like Jesus died for me. I can go do whatever I want now. And in the middle of that is that narrow road. and, And we'll explain that and combating prosperity theology. Prosperity theology takes all the fluffy verses, the gentle and loving verses, which God is a gentle and a loving God, absolutely, uh, from the Bible, and it completely throws away all the, all the um, verses about justice and holiness and wrath. It doesn't have a a balanced look at God. It doesn't take the whole counsel of the word of God. It just takes what it wants and sort of, uh, you know, creates a God in its own image. Um, Number five, show the overwhelmingly precious value of true faith in Jesus. If you have true faith in Jesus, the Bible likens that to treasure, As in, literally, you will rejoice in it as treasure more than gold or pearls. Jesus is that pearl of great price. So I want to show how precious and valuable that is. Um, Number six, I want to protect the church from false teachers. There's a lot of false teachers, and this teaching has a a strengthening and and an, an edification effect on the church to protect it. You don't want to start accusing every teacher of being a false teacher but if your eyes are open to scripture, you'll certainly be on, on your guard to guard against false teaching. Uh, number seven, evangelism. I love evan- like That's what I really want to do with my life. Evangelize to those in the same condition, same condition as me, before I came to faith in Jesus. This is the lukewarm Christian. Okay, I was in this state my whole life. Obviously, this is a tough video. If I'm saying few are saved, that means many are damned. And so we're going to talk about hell today, and that's a very tough topic to talk about. Listen, I don't think anybody deserves hell more than me, but I was saved from prosperity theology. I was saved from what I call the lukewarm uh, church or the lukewarm sermons, which is essentially you invite anyone to church no matter what, which I agree with, you know, get them in, let them hear the word of God. Absolutely. But then, regardless of what condition, all the sermons seem to just be rejoicing that Jesus has saved us. And you take away all those verses of, whoa, whoa, what if you're not saved? What if you haven't repented? What if you're not in Christ, right? And so that's a very dangerous thing that the church begins to be watered down with the world. It begins to look like the world, act like the world. Uh, because the word of God is very offensive to the sinner, okay? It converts you, or you run away from it. It it says it's an aroma of life to those who believe, but to those who don't believe, it's an aroma of death. It's offensive. They do not want to hear it. Number eight, I want to explain the true, true gospel. Okay, so that's the point of this, and now we're going to get into it. Are there few who are saved? First verse, Psalm 36, an oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. When we're talking about the wicked, we're not just talking about their acts. These are people condemned to eternal death. They are are wicked, right? Whereas the righteous, they're not self-righteous, but they've been imputed, credited, the righteousness of Christ. So I was wicked, I got converted, and now I'm righteous. I'm I'm not a great person. I'm not saying I'm the best person in the world, anything like that. But God looks at me as if he looks at Jesus in in a sense of righteousness. I've been justified and given Christ's righteousness. But the problem with the wicked is there is no fear of God before his eyes. The Bible says, I picked Psalms here because Proverbs is another really common one, right? The fear of the Lord's the beginning of wisdom. Paul in Romans, before he Tells the gospel, he explains there's no fear of God to anyone, right? There is absolutely no fear of, of that eternal judgment of God, of sin. And so that is the biggest problem with mankind. There's no fear of God before his eyes. So, a faithful pastor, if you know you're inviting anyone into your church, regardless of their salvation, you need to make sure that you faithfully preach the word of God. Because the word of God will terrify. It will strike fear into our hearts. And that's how it it converts us. Psalm says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. So fear of God is the number one problem with mankind. Okay. Revelation 20, verse 15. Okay. We're going to get right into it. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. If you are not in the book of life, that is your eternal destiny. As soon as I started searching for the Lord, I didn't get saved till about eight months later or something like that. Uh, I began to read the word of God. And as I came to an understanding, it kind of seemed strange. It wasn't what I was hearing from the pulpits. It wasn't what I heard growing up. Um, I began to really be afraid of this. It seemed like this was the destiny for a lot of people. It was very scary. Matthew chapter seven, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate. Okay, that leads to life. Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. Okay, there's many ways to get to hell. You could be a Buddhist. You could be a Sikh. You could be a Jew. You could be a false Christian. You could be an atheist. There's a million ways to get there. And there are many who go in by it. That is terrifying because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. Okay, there are few who find it. There is only one way to eternal life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's extremely important that you realize Jesus is God because when he says, I'm the only way to the Father, another way to say that is the only way to God is God. Okay, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? That doesn't mean telling the future. It could just be preaching, uh, casting out demons. We've done many miracles and wonders in your name. Guys, this is terrifying. That means there's going to be many people on that day who are going to say, Jesus, we called you Lord. Not, you know, we just said, Lord, Lord to God. No, Jesus, we called you Lord. And then look at what he's going to say to them. Many are going to say this. He says, I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me you who practice lawlessness, you will practice sinning. This is huge, okay? And so uh, these verses, they would terrify me before I was saved. Matthew 24.10 is talking about uh, the tribulation, the final seven-year period, and I'm not saying we're in it, but in that time, I imagine it's going to be even worse than now. <clears throat> and Jesus says, many will be offended... And that means turning from the true faith, stumbling, turning away, betray one another and hate one another. Many people are going to turn away from the faith, okay? Luke chapter 13, uh, Jesus is preaching. There were present at the season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He had killed Galileans and literally mingled their blood with the sacrifices. That's a horrible way to die. And Jesus answered and said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered so much? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Okay? This is key. Repentance is key. Jesus, when he started preaching the gospel, he didn't say believe. He said, repent and believe. Okay? And we said, many are going to go up to him and say, Lord, Lord, we you know we believed in you. What's going on? And he's going to say... I never knew you. You practice sin. You practice lawlessness. I'm not saying every believer is perfect. We'll get to that in a second. Um, And then Jesus says, or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, a great tower fell and killed them, do you think they were worse sinners than all the other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So you must repent. And we're going to talk about the character of true repentance here in a bit. Uh, Luke chapter 13, this is the question. So I just wanted to lay the backstory. This is the question. Somebody asks Jesus, Lord, are there few who are saved? Guys, if you ascribe to prosperity theology, I'm begging you to study the word of God for yourself. Jesus was asked this question. Guys, there's no falsehood in our God. He He's going to answer this Honestly, he's not going to lie. He's not going to answer mysteriously. Okay. He was specifically asked, are there few people who are saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate. Many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. People will strive to enter, but will not be able. Okay. We're going to talk more about that in a bit. He goes on to say, when once the master of the house, that's Jesus, has risen up, and he will shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. He will answer and say to you, I do not know you, where you are from. Then, uh, and, and so you're beginning to see, guys, this might not be the Jesus preached in your pulpit. And truly, some people look at this and say, man, I don't like that Jesus, And the truth is that we don't get to decide who Jesus is. The Word of God shows us who God is, okay? Jesus is the Word made flesh. Jesus is God. I want the true Jesus of the Bible. I don't care if that Jesus says, you know, heaven is not even going to be enjoyable because I messed up so much here on earth. I still want that Jesus because he's true. Now, he doesn't say that, thank God. He's so much more merciful and gracious and loving, but... Even these hard verses, I want this, Jesus. I need to make sure I am on that narrow road. No matter how hard it is, I need to make sure. And we're going to go over that in a minute. But he's going to say, I don't know you, where you are from. Then you begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. He's talking to the Jewish people here. But I tell you, I do not know you. And he'll say to them, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Once again, he's saying, you're practicing sin. Then he says, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping, crying, and mourning. Gnashing of teeth, that actually means yes in pain, but that's also talking about wrath. Okay, Most people in hell are not going to believe they deserve to be there. I will be in heaven with Jesus. That's a promise. But I know I don't deserve to be there. I deserve to be in hell. But that gnashing of teeth, that's like when you're angry and gnashing your teeth. When they see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. Daniel chapter 12 says, Hell is a place of eternal shame. And I believe part of that shame is you will be conscience, probably not able to see forever, but you will be conscience of the, the saints in heaven Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the Gentiles, all the Jews who came to faith in Christ. And so it's a scary thing when you you see Jesus talking like this. He's going to say, depart from me. You're going to see the people in heaven. You're going to be weeping and gnashing your teeth. These are scary, scary verses. And so we want to talk about the character of true repentance. Jesus says, repent and believe. Now the Bible says, even a born again true believer still sins. So where's the line? How does this work? How can I know I'm saved? And we're going to talk about this a little in Luke chapter 14 great multitudes were with Jesus. He comes and says to them, if anyone comes to me, we're talking about the cost of discipleship a little here. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, obviously the word of God, you need to be balanced, you know, studied uh, to approve yourself, a good, you know, worker of God who, who divides the, the, the word of truth, faithfully, right? God does not want me to hate my wife by any means. He doesn't want me to hate my father or mother. His commandments say, honor your father and mother. He's saying in comparison to me. Yes, in comparison to Jesus, the the love for my father looks like hatred. E- e- wife, children, ev- everybody. It must look that way. Jesus is the one, and I'm very conscious of this, who has saved me from eternal hell. He literally took the hell that would take my eternity to pay and he took that on the cross for me. And, and, and by my human estimation, he shouldn't have done that because I wasn't a good person. But because he's loving, he did that. So yes, my love for him trumps all. But it's not that I actually hate my wife on a human level. But that's a real love. It's not a perfect love. It's not the best, you know, I don't love Jesus like he loves me. But yes, I truly love him, right? And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. If you are not a disciple of Jesus, you are not saved. Jesus is saying there's a cost here, okay? Now, we're saved by grace, truly. I mean, I was the most wretched person you could imagine. When I was born again, I went from hating God to loving God. And unless you're born again, you can't love God. You certainly cannot love Jesus. You cannot follow him. It's too difficult. But when you're born again, he actually puts his spirit in you and pulls you along by grace, sovereignly, and even produces the good works. And he preserves you so that you do not turn from him, so that you do follow him with all your heart. And then he says, for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost. He is telling his disciples, count the cost. I'm about to go and be crucified. Count the cost before you follow me, whether he has enough to finish it. Unless after he's laid the foundation, he starts to build. This is the, the destiny of apostasy, apostates, guys. It's very scary. He starts to lay the foundation, but he's not able to finish it because he never counted the cost. Guys, I'm begging you. This is the destiny of most people in prosperity theology. You're laying the foundation. You're hearing Bible verses about Jesus. He sounds like he wants to fix all your problems, but you never counted the cost. You never really looked into the word of God for yourself. All who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king goes to war against another king but doesn't sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? If you're going to war, you're gonna make sure you have enough soldiers on your side constantly, spiritual warfare is, is like battle, okay? And it, the Bible commands us to look at it that way. Count the cost. Make sure you have what it takes. Or else, and I don't mean you personally. I'm not preaching works-based salvation. Or else, why the other is still a great way off, he sen- sends a delegation and asks for conditions of peace. He surrenders. He quits. He turns. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple, Guys, I'm not perfect. As I look into these verses, they convict me. I'm asking myself, Lord, am I a fake Christian? Even though I know I'm born again and I have a strong assurance of salvation, we'll get into the assurance of salvation soon. These verses, I'm like, Lord, have I forsaken all? And it's convicting. It's absolutely convicting but there is a difference between the righteous and the wicked, okay? There is truly when pushed against it. Yes, I would forsake all, but only because I really believe Jesus is God, right? I really believe he has the keys to life and death, the keys to eternity, okay? Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Now I want to talk about the lukewarm church in Revelation chapter 3. I'm bringing this church up and I'm gonna go through it quickly because I listened to a service. As soon as I got saved, I had a very strange effect. I would go to church and when they would round out the sermons, and what I mean by round out is the word of God is called a sword, it is living and active, it is sharper, it says, than any two edged sword. Piercing into your heart and showing uh, the desires of your heart. The Word of God literally shows you whether you love God or whether you hate God. And it is one of those two, okay? It is not both, all right? So, what they would do is in a lot of pulpits, they round out, they make that sharp sword of the Word of God just sound a little more gentle. And what it does is, I listened to it my whole life, but when I truly got saved, it just started to bother me. And, and, and as I was led through, sometimes I would be like, Lord, am I just in sinful anger? But over time, I realized it's so contrary to the Word of God. I think there's some righteous anger there. It was just frustration. And so I, I want... Uh, so anyway, I'm bringing up the lukewarm church because somehow I got through a, a one-hour sermon at a church locally. I'm not going to name the church. About the lukewarm church, and it wasn't convicting. Guys, That that's incredible. To do a sermon only about the lukewarm church and to find a way to contort the scripture and round it out so that nothing is terrifying, nothing is convicting, and we all feel good at the end of it. Guys, it's the lukewarm church. (laughs) And so I was like, I have to just faithfully preach this. So here we go. To the angel of the church of Laodiceans, write these things. This is the lukewarm church says the amen, the faithful and true witness, Jesus, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. You are lukewarm. You're not cold. You're not an atheist. You don't claim that. You're not hot. There's no zeal for God. There's no zeal for Jesus or love. There's no zeal for the truth. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Guys, this isn't Jesus saying, hey, you're lukewarm. I need you to just get a little hotter so I don't vomit you out. He's saying, if you do not repent, you'll perish to eternal destruction. Guys, I'm evangelizing to the lukewarm Christian because there is no such thing as a lukewarm Christian. It is In our imagination, it is something sinners say who are not saved to comfort themselves. Oh, I'm just a lukewarm Christian. I'll get it together one day. When in reality, they've never truly repented and believed on Jesus for salvation, and they need comfort. So they will comfort themselves with this. This is not meant to comfort. If you're vomited out of God's mouth, he's rejecting you. He's saying, depart from me. I never knew you. Remember, many are on the road to destruction narrow is the way that leads to life the people on the narrow road don't get vomited out of the mouth of god that's just the reality that's the only way i can read scripture and be faithful and so the lukewarm christian it's an imagination he's saying you're not saved you're not you're lukewarm because you don't really believe guys and so he goes on to say uh because you say i'm rich have become wealthy and i have need of nothing and you do not know that you are wretched miserable poor blind and naked this is the true state of mankind you're wretched miserable poor blind and naked now you're not perfect when you're born again but your eyes are open. Your eyes are open. You are not blind. The scripture is clear. I'm not going to bring up the scriptures that when you are saved, read 1 Thessalonians 5, you are not of the night. You are of the day. You are not of those who sleep. You are awake. You are not naked. You are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. You're not miserable. Your joy is in the Lord. You are not poor. Okay. Jesus is literally your treasure okay? You're not earthly money rich, but you're rich, okay? He goes on to say, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Listen, you have nothing to offer Jesus, so to buy gold from him is by grace. You have to go to him and ask for that gold, ask for that treasure. The treasure is the fear of the Lord, uh, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, this is key, be zealous and repent. It always goes back to repentance. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's not in the church. He's knocking on the door. But if anyone hears his voice and opens, he'll come in and dine with him. To him who overcomes, I'll grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Guys, I know it sounds like I'm preaching works here, I'm not. To him who overcomes, those who are truly saved by Jesus will overcome. Let's talk about martyrs for a minute. Let's talk about the martyrs during the the 500 years ago or so, the Reformation. The true Christians are being martyred by the Catholic Church in millions, or at least hundreds of thousands. People are being tortured and martyred by the Catholic Church. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb, it says, and so they did not love their lives to the death, Revelation also talks about, right? They didn't they, they didn't do that because they were great people. They did that because they really believed in Jesus, okay? They had repented and really believed in Jesus and therefore they overcame because God's grace sovereignly, his spirit worked in them and they overcame. God produced the overcoming. Um, moving on. Uh, John chapter six. Uh, this is really key. So a lot of the things I'm saying, you might be saying to yourself, this is really hard, right? John chapter 6. I want to talk about this. There are some of you who do not believe. Jesus is speaking. Jesus knew from the beginning who they were and who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I've said to you, no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the father. The father leads you to the son and the son reveals to you who the father is. Both the father and the son are God. From that time though, this is key, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Many people walked with Jesus, God in human flesh, and they turned because his teachings were hard. We just went through a bunch of his teachings. His teachings are hard. They're convicting. If you love your sin, you, you can't. You, you just can't follow Jesus. You need to be led by the Father. But then Jesus says to the twelve, do you want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ. That word means Messiah, the son of the living God. And so you get to John 3, 16. Everyone knows that. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That whoever, I mean, it doesn't matter what you've done. You can repent, believe on Jesus, right? But, and, and uh, let me just keep going. It says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Okay, those words are very important. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Some people will read that and say, okay, yeah, Jesus isn't here to condemn me. Uh, he's not sending anybody to hell. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. No, no, you don't understand. God did not have to send Jesus here to condemn the world. Okay he sent him that the world might be saved but he didn't have to send Jesus here to condemn the world because the world was already condemned okay read on don't stop at John 3:16 don't fall into prosperity theology where you take a few happy go lucky verses where that just show the love of God look at the other side of this look at the whole bible it says he who believes in him in Jesus is not condemned but he who does not believe is condemned already. Jesus didn't have to come here uh, you know, and die for us uh, you know, to condemn us. We were already condemned. He came here and died for us to save some of us. He's condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the condemnation. Light has come into the world. Jesus is that light. But men loved darkness rather than light. They literally love, because their deeds were evil. It always goes back to sin. You must deal with this problem of sin. John chapter three, verse 20. Uh, it says, for everyone practicing evil hates the light. And that word practicing, Jesus says practicing. Uh, John in, in first John, second John, third John, he says practicing. That word practicing is so evil, so so common. And I feel like God speaks to us so clearly again and again and again. It says everyone who practicing evil, habitually sinning, not somebody who makes a mistake. We all make mistakes and we all sin, right? I sin every day, but there's a difference. There's a difference. Kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness, two separate kingdoms, two separate kings. Everyone practicing evil hates the light, does not come to the light because then his deeds are exposed. That's what happened. As I was coming to the light, I realized I was filthy and really, really evil. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Now we're going to talk about 1 John. We're going to we're going to go through the book of 1 John and show this doctrine of the remnant. It's so important to understand that it, the whole world, it says, lies in the sway of the wicked one. I'll get to it. Uh, 1 John chapter 3, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. John is rejoicing in it here. He's pretty shocked. I I always tell people, I'm shocked that I'm saved. I'm shocked that I'm a child of God. And then it says, therefore, the world, uh, I want to talk about this concept. The world does not know us because it did not know him. Listen, guys, when you're talking about majority and minority, the world does not know us, us being truly saved people, because it did not know him, Jesus. Okay, the world is clearly the majority here. Okay, uh, moving on, verses 10 and 11. This is how you can know if you're saved or not. And I'm sorry, if you don't want to know if you're saved or not, it's hard to believe you're saved because if you've really been saved and you have the fear of God in you, okay, Paul says, knowing the terror of the Lord, how terrifying he is, we persuade men. Uh, me personally, Before I was saved, I never really cared. I just assumed I was saved my whole life. Ever since I've gotten saved, yes, I have a strong assurance of salvation, but yes, I wanna know. I wanna know deep within my heart that I am saved. Uh, That's the number one thing I wanna know, and I wanna know I get to spend eternity with Jesus, okay? So there's a way to know, and here it is. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifested, are shown. And and let the reader beware, that's terrifying. There are children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Practice, habitual. Nor is he who does not love his brother. You can't say you love God and hate those made in his image. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? His works were evil his brothers righteous. Psalms talks about this. Proverbs talks about this. The wicked hate the righteous. Cain truly murdered Abel. It wasn't like a a myth or a a legend. Cain truly murdered Abel because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. But that's also a lesson for us. That's how humanity goes. The wicked hate the truly righteous. Jesus said, the world hates me because I testify its deeds are evil. That is why the world hates true Christians. First uh, John chapter four, he goes on to say, they, non-believers, are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Once again, that concept of the world, the majority of people do not hear us, okay? Okay. 1 John chapter 5, we know that we are of God, we're truly saved, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Once again, that concept of the world, okay? So the way to know you are saved is to repent, turn from your sin, and believe. And as you walk in obedience to God, the Holy Spirit will testify and tell you you are a child of God. That being said, if you cannot repent, we're going to get into that in just a second. So, you know, what? I'm going to keep going. I'm going to go back to the book of John. I want to go to Jesus's great high priestly prayer. We're, we're finishing up here. I want to go to Jesus's great high priestly prayer, John chapter 17, one of my favorite books of the Bible, just to hone in on this point, And then we're going to just talk about repentance. And then we're going to go over some good news. <laughs> uh, Jesus says, John chapter 17, I pray for them, my disciples, true believers, I do not pray for the world. Guys, that statement is profound. That needs to be meditated on. I pray for them, my disciples. I I don't pray for the world, but I thought God was love. I thought God is love. I thought he's only loving, only gentle, only merciful. What's all this wrath? What's all this judgment? I don't understand. I thought he wasn't sent in the world to condemn the world. Guys, the world's already condemned. We're already fallen, we're already sinful. I pray for them, my disciples. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, the remnant, for they are yours. Jesus prays for us. That is a huge gift. He goes on to say in verses 14 through 17, I'm given them your word. Jesus has given them given us God's word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. If you're a true follower of Jesus, the world hates you. Now, it doesn't mean you walk around, you're offensive to everybody you meet. People might love you or, you know, show some kindness to you. But if you're to get into an honest decision about your beliefs and what you believe is right and wrong, the world will hate you Uh, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify. Now we're talking about sanctification. There's a difference between repentance and sanctification. Repentance is turning from your sin, walking in sin, being a child of the devil, okay? Habitually. And believing in Jesus. And you are literally granted repentance, okay? It might happen over a day. It might happen over a few weeks or a few months. But it will be a specific event that happens in your life uh, where you are born again, okay? Okay? It happens in a moment, probably in the twinkling of an eye, but you might recognize it over, you know, a good friend of mine, it was like over a period of three or four months. For me, it was literally overnight and God is sovereign. He does it differently for everybody. So it's okay if you don't know the exact moment, but then sanctify them, set them apart, have them grow in righteousness by your truth. Your word is truth. Guys, I haven't preached to you anything outside the word of God today. I haven't pulled in my own opinion. I've brought up like a hundred verses, Jesus says, your word is truth. The word of God is truth, okay? Outside the word of God, you have lies, and that's what people fall for, okay? So moving on, what can you do? What can you do if by watching this video, you realize you may not be saved? Question mark. Okay, guys, this is what happened to me. I started reading the word of God. I assumed I was saved my whole life, never cared about Jesus, and I realized I didn't believe in him. So we're gonna talk about that. What can you do? Let's say you are habitually sinning. Let's say you are suffering with pornography. I believe that's the number one sin of young men in America right now. So let's talk about pornography. What if you are addicted to it? What if you watch it? I was addicted to it before I was saved. What if, but what if you just watch it once a week, twice a week? Maybe you're not as horribly addicted as I was. It doesn't matter. What can you do if you're worried you are not saved? Number one, you can repent. You must actually turn and stop sinning. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but you are going to be washed from your sins. Okay, turn and actually stop sinning. Sin is serious. There's no true sorrow if you just continue in the same course of action. Guys, the Bible likens sin to worse than law-breaking man against man. Sin is a sin against God, right? A small sin against God is infinitely worse than a a large sin against man, like murder, okay? Which, if you murder another man, you're obviously sinning against God as well. Sin is a serious issue. Sin is a stumbling block. It keeps people from the Lord, right? Sin is the number one thing you have to deal with in your life. It's repent, turn from your sin, and believe, okay? So, you repent, you turn. Do whatever it takes. Smash your laptop. I've done that. Do whatever it takes to stop sinning. Turn and treat that almost like a sacrifice. Like Try as hard as you can to repent. It's uh, Jesus said, uh, for example, if you're lusting after a woman, better to cut your hand off. Now, that I'm not saying you should go and cut your hand off by any means. What I'm saying is, just like Jesus, sin is so serious that, yes, you must take it extremely serious. Repentance is a serious thing you have to work on if you're worried you're not saved. Number two, Believe on Jesus for salvation. You must believe that Jesus is God, that he is the Son of God, fully man and fully God, and that based on what Jesus did, his righteousness, his sacrifice, what he did on the cross, that's the only reason I've been forgiven by God, okay? Remember that verse, they're of the world and they speak as the world and the world hears them. Listen, I'm telling you the truth here. Uh, I Since being born again, before that, I was addicted to pornography. I've never watched it again since. I've never really been tempted to watch it again since because I've been born again. But I need you to understand, believing in Jesus is so tied to your repentance. And if you can't get that, it, it's imagine telling somebody in the world, check this out. This actually works for me. If you're struggling with any sin, specifically pornography, this actually works for me. And it's a great test. It's by knowing I'm truly forgiven for it. Truly, that's, that's how, by the spirit, we put to death the deeds of the flesh, the Bible says. Because I know I'm forgiven. I know, truly in my heart, Jesus has died for my sins. I know right now, if I go and I fall and I watch pornography, I'm actually saved. And it has this amazing effect that I feel the love of God. I know I can sin technically, technically. I know that if I mess up, he's gonna forgive me. But because I know that, I don't want to sin anymore. I I just don't. If you told me that three, four years ago, if you told me that, I would say, great. Oh my gosh, God's going to forgive me. I can go watch pornography because I loved watching it. It was what I loved. Now I love Jesus. So I don't want to watch that stuff. And if there's ever a temptation, that's how I put it to death. I know I'm forgiven for it but I just don't want to do it. And that's worked from the day since I was born again. So I hope that's some good, just solid advice. I I think the world cannot hear that. If you tell them they're forgiven, don't worry about it, which is unfortunately what's being told in churches all the time. They just want to keep doing it because they've never truly repented. So that's the question. What if you cannot stop habitually sinning? Go read about Jacob and Esau. That's a good example. Esau sold his birthright, his inheritance. Heaven is considered an inheritance in the Bible and and eternal forgiveness in Jesus. And Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup, right? Uh, You know, the Bible says, just like a pig, we, we were cleaned up and then we go wallow in the mud. And it's talking about apostasy and turning from the truth. What if I cannot stop habitually sinning? What if I'm in a sin and I was in this condition and you love that sin, and you you are honest with yourself, which, guys, please be honest with yourself. As I'm speaking, and as you're reading the Word of God, look at your life, and look at what the Bible calls sin. Everything. Pride, anger, greed, lust, and, and be honest with yourself. And, and, and you have to say, am I habitually sinning? And if you can't stop, just be real, because that's, that's the first step, guys. Uh, And then Matthew 121, when Jesus was born, the angel is saying to Mary, you'll bring forth a son and call his name Jesus for, and this is so key, he will save his people from their sins. And I highlighted from their sins. Listen, guys, that is so key. If you cannot repent, it's because you don't believe, okay? Jesus's death does save us from hell and that's great. But if you only desire to be saved from hell, From hell and not from your sins, that's not true repentance. If you are seeking with your heart to repent from your sins, you will realize "I I can't stop sinning. And that's because Jeremiah says, Your heart is infinitely wicked. We're fallen. Okay. As you try and repent and you look at the word of God and you try with all your might, you're going to be like the guy up on the hill. Jesus told a parable. Okay, you don't want to be like a Pharisee that says, I'm such a great guy. I go to church. I preach the gospel. Look at me, God. No, you want to go up on that mountain and beat your chest and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the point of the whole Bible. That's the point of the law. That's the point of the Messiah. It's so that we can realize God's holy nature, how fallen I am. I could never do this. I can't stop sinning. God, I need your mercy. And if you cry out for that mercy and you mean it with your heart, you will be born again and you will repent and turn from your sins. You will not be perfect. You'll still mess up, but you will be born again. You will be a child of light. You will begin to practice righteousness and hate sin as opposed to loving sin and occasionally doing a good deed. Okay? Now, some good news. Okay, the gospel, all right? I know I said a lot of bad news, and that's because you can go to any pulpit any Sunday in America, and you're only ever gonna get the gentle side. So you've got plenty of that. This is the stuff you need. (laughs) Now, some good news. 1 Timothy 2.4, God does desire all men to be saved, okay? And to come to the knowledge of the truth, okay? God has many sides. He has justice, he has wrath, but he also has grace, and he has mercy. Okay, he desires. He doesn't take pleasure in your death and eternal damnation as much as he would if you would repent and believe. There is a sovereignty to repentance. God must grant it. However, that does not cast aside the burden of your free will or free moral agent or whatever you want to call it. You are responsible before God, and he desires that you would come to him and be saved. John chapter 7, on the last day of the feast, Jesus stands and cried out, and he says, if anyone thirsts, thirsts for salvation, for Jesus, let him come to me and drink. That word, anyone, here's some comfort, anyone, even a wretched, miserable bastard like me. I went to Jesus, and he let me drink. It says, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's what this whole YouTube channel is. It's I believed on Jesus. I was the anyone. I was the worst sinner I've ever met to this day. I went to him. I believed on him. And now I can't stop talking about him. I'm deeply conscious that he has has saved me from the weight of my sins. And I'm deeply conscious that eternal lake of fire hell is just justice. It's just what I deserve. It's probably less than what I deserve. Uh, It's probably, the lake of fire is probably still showing some mercy for me. And yet... I've been given eternal life. How can I not talk about that? So anyone who thirsts can go to Jesus. I don't care what you've done. You can turn to him. If you're looking to stop sinning, Jesus is the only way. He's the only way to God. Homework assignment. This is key. I really want you to do this, especially if you're scared you're not saved or you want to make sure you're saved. Read the parable of the prodigal son, Luke 15. I want to focus on just two specific parts, just two verses. First one. When he came to himself. That means when he came to his senses. The prodigal son is all about a man turning on his father. That's how we've turned on God. Then he repents and goes back, okay? But when does he repent? It's when he comes to his senses. Guys, I assumed I was in the right with God my entire life. I used to do horrible deeds and I would walk out and say the sinner's prayer and be like, I'm good. When I die, I'll go to heaven. And I only cared about hell. I never cared about sin or Jesus, anything like that. But when I came to my senses, then he says, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I went back to the father, right? But check this out. This is what is so amazing about repentance, and it shows the grace of God. Look at this. He arose and came to his father. The prodigal son repents. He turns back. But these are some of my favorite words in the Bible. When he was still a great way off. Meditate on that. When the prodigal son is a long way off, his father saw him and had compassion. Guys, as soon as you repent and turn towards Jesus, you're a long way off, but it doesn't matter. God comes to you. Remember, the father leads you to the son. He grants you repentance. He's sovereign. As soon as you turn, God runs to you. He, it says he fell on his neck and kissed him. They, they go into a banquet. They slaughter a lamb. They have a great uh, meal. They have a party. They celebrate. Oh, it's an amazing thing. And I truly have felt that love from God through Christ. And it's my desire that everyone in the Lukewarm Church, in Prosperity Gospel, everyone who's into universalism or what the Catholic Church is promoting right now uh, would come out of that. And all I'm trying to do is make sure that you really just like Paul said, examine yourself, confirm it, make sure. We're talking about eternal life or eternal death here. This is not a joke. You need to make sure. Uh, I love you guys. I'm sorry if this was a little harsher uh, than normal. Feel free to email me foolishministries at gmail.com.